Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Thrive Deeper. DJ Payne here and uh, this week you're in for a treat. Matt Jacoby and myself dig into the second half of the book of Daniel. We're talking chapter 7 right through to chapter 12. Two major issues we get into, prayer and prophecy. Uh, An amazing prayer from the man Daniel. And then we get into the amazing prophecies that are contained in that second half of the book, especially in chapter 9. I think you're in for a treat. It's a big episode. So, uh... Pull out that cut lunch and uh, get the water out and be ready for a long episode here. Now, as we enter into this week's episode, you'll hear Matt and I chatting. Matt was about to head off and teach an apologetics course for a Melbourne theological college that he works for. So uh, we're deep in discussion about this as we enter into this week's episode. I'll be back at the end of the episode to do a quick wrap up, but uh, we'll see you over at thrivetoday.net.au. Enjoy Thrive Deeper. Do they have to write a paper, or is it a quiz, or it's, thesis? It's essay-based, so we, we, we don't... Uh, the subject doesn't have exams. It's just like two, um, two 3,000-word essays. Okay. Which is um, uh, 2,500, I think. Um, uh, yeah, makes for a lot of marking for a big class. i got a big class yeah. uh, this, uh, this semester. So. How many people in the class? Uh, it's about 24. Five to thirty. Oh, that is yep. a big class. Yeah, for a, a class on apologetics. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We we mentioned this last week. The Book of Daniel doesn't really mm. fall under apologetics in your <laughs> in your expertise. Uh, but last week we talked about um, Daniel, the first half of the Book of Daniel, mm. setting up about Daniel the man, the, the historical significance of the Book of Daniel, mm. and we looked at the first the, the, the first half of the Book of Daniel, yeah. and the Book of Daniel naturally has two halves to the book. That's right. Also, very, very interestingly, in its language. Yeah, it's um, chapters one to six are the narrative of, of Daniel, of course, and, yeah. and the amazing story of Daniel. We talked about that last week. And then the second half of the book are these bizarre visions, really some of the most bizarre visions, matched only by the book of Revelation. Yeah. And actually, um, it's been interesting, you know, reading Ezekiel and then Daniel, how much of the language of both Ezekiel and Daniel is drawn into the book of Revelation. Exactly. It's amazing. There's all, there's very little actually that's even original uh, to the book. Uh, the Revel- book of Revelation. The, yeah, the book of Revelation. After you've because- looked at these two books here. Now, the, the but I was actually talking about the language itself, the language that the book was written in. Yeah. yeah the, the-, fir- the first half is in the Daniel 1 to 6 is written in Aramaic. Uh, the, and the, the second half is written in another the, language. Well, the um, the book of uh, the book of Daniel uh, as a whole is in Hebrew and Aramaic, and of course, um, and, and there, there are little bits of Greek in there, which is which is cause or, or some Greek terms, which is oh. which have caused um, that and other factors um, have caused some scholars to date the book of Daniel as late as the sort of mid second century BC. Okay, so. Uh, as we'll see, um, one of the 
major events that's predicted uh, in the second part of Daniel is uh, Antiochus and Epiph- is the coming of Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. Yes, who um, uh, it's a really significant time actually in, uh, in in that history of that intertestamental period because he wanted to Hellenize the whole of his uh, whole of his empire and he and enforced uh, sort of Greek religion. Yeah, and outlawed Judaism. And uh, it's a famous story um, from uh, that's actually recorded in the books of Maccabees, um, which uh, is included in some in the Catholic and uh, Orthodox uh, Bibles, but not yeah. in the Protestant yes. Bibles. That's another I'll know another that. topic I'll know for discussion. another day. <laughs> um, so, uh, but this is this is an important period because the Jews fought back and and won really amazing victories mm. one after another. Mm. Uh, was seen as being really God's providence uh, for those who stood up for their faith mm. in the midst of this outlawing uh, of the Jewish faith. Um, and he, you know, famously um, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, he set up. Uh, an alt, you know, a pagan altar in yeah. the temple, sacrificed a pig uh, yes. in the temple, and and this is known as the abomination that causes desolation. Yeah, uh, and and it's that's referred to in, in the, the book in of the Daniel. Book, yeah. Now, some people think that uh, the book of Daniel was written sort of around that time because it talks in with such detail yeah. uh, about that time, and one of the evidences for that they say is that it's that there are elements of um, you know Greek terms in that. Look. Certainly, the book of Daniel. Uh, I, I believe the book of Daniel was written much earlier. Yes. Uh, in fact, around the time of Daniel, um, and but I do. I think that it could have been edited. Yes. For for later use, and yeah. in in effect, even in in a sense, even translated, because by that later period. Um, uh, the Jews are speaking more Aramaic than Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Hebrew becomes more of a literary language, whereas Aramaic more and more as you move into this period. And then, of course, Greek uh, become the um, the official sort yeah, of language. the, the languages yeah. that they speak. So, um, so it possibly would make sense that 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 there are sort of later editions, but that doesn't mean that it was necessarily authored in that late period. But it's it's also interesting that you know the first half of the book being such a you know the overarching story of Daniel's life being mostly in Aramaic, and then the next half of the book being about the Jewish people being mostly in Hebrew mm-hmm. in the you know in, in the language there. Oh, I, I, I like those yeah, little, yeah, yeah, those little yeah. facts there. All right, so we're getting into the second half of the book. All right, okay. second half of the book, and it's it's very much now. The personal uh, messages from Daniel to Daniel, and it's a much bigger, a much bigger picture about uh, you know what will happen to the Jewish people. Yeah, you know. So we're now getting into the stage of prophecy and things like this in this book. And of course, the importance of that is that um, here is Daniel, uh, an exile in Babylon. Yeah, and um, with his people who are wondering. It, you know, here we are, we're captives. Not only do we not exist, I mean, they used to be a small nation state sandwiched in between big empires. Now they're not even that. Yeah. Now they're they're just captives in a foreign land. Yeah. And and this is the people who carry this covenant that tells them that they're gonna be great and be a blessing to all the ends of the earth. I mean, how is that gonna happen? <laughs> it's, it's just to you know, you, you can imagine that they're wondering, well, what about this promises of being a great nation and and of, of being a blessing to all of the world. I mean, where has that gone? Is yeah. is God gonna? Has God 
cast us off? Is God not going to fulfill his the plans that he made and announced uh, from the time of Abraham? Yeah. And all of the visions um, that are given to Daniel in the second uh, half of this book uh, are, in a sense, answering that question. Uh, they are, um, in one way or another, showing the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of God, the sovereignty of God in that he is sovereign over all international events, yeah. um, uh, which is always good to know, mm. and and moreover that he is going to be faithful to his promises that uh, ultimately um, the thing that he promised to Abraham and the um, you know the, the in a sense the um, spread the indomitable spread of the kingdom of God yeah yeah will be fulfilled yeah. uh, on the earth awesome awesome uh, that's really the big picture yeah uh, uh, is, is God's faithfulness yeah that's right God's sovereignty and faithfulness first mo for, first and foremost. Uh, like like we read from Ezekiel, his his plan about his promises, about his namesake and his plan, yeah. and then secondly, his promises and his faithfulness to the Jewish people. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and actually, you know, it extends even beyond that time because the grandeur of the visions extend right up to the yeah. end yes. of even the present age, yeah, yeah. Um, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, for example, we come to Daniel uh, Daniel chapter 7 yeah. and we get this vision of these four beasts um, that uh, that come up out of the sea. You know, the sea is this, uh, this symbol of... Um, uh, of like the nations, it's like sinful chaotic. This yeah. sin, this chaotic world, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's like the the watery chaos, uh, and which is a Jewish theme throughout. The, that's throughout right. The it's Old it's a Jewish theme. So yeah. in in the in the beginning, in fact, you had the spirit of God hovering over the waters, yeah. and yeah. in in ancient times, you know, the sea is like this um, uh, this symbol of sort of chaos and yes. death and lifeless, you know, yeah. and so. Uh, out of out of the this chaotic world, out of the sea, come these four great beasts, right? So, so we've got a winged lion. We've got a winged lion. A we've bear. got a bear. We've got a leopard and a fourth beast that – Well, the leopard has four heads. Don't yeah. forget that. The leopard's got <laughs> four right. heads. That's right. And then the fourth beast is a beast with ten horns, Yeah, whatever that that's is. That's right, yeah. Uh, so, so first of all um, – it's, it's not so much a dream. It's a nightmare. Daniel's having yeah, a nightmare. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it sounds pretty scary. I mean, uh, the first uh, one is quite recognisable. Um, the winged lion, of course. Uh, uh, even you can go to museums like the the um, Pergamon Museum in Berlin and uh, the British Museum, and you'll see winged lions from the Babylonian uh, Empire. This is yeah, a symbol of Babylon. The symbol, yeah. You uh, can imagine it. And I remember seeing, uh, you know, I think there was a gate or a wall that, yeah. uh, you know, uh, in the times of, you know, uh, you know, in Iraq and stuff, you know, yeah. when when uh, good old Hussein was over there, yeah. you know, he was rebuilding it, and the symbols yeah. were there in the yeah, bricks. He was right. putting the Babylonian that's symbol, right. the heyday there. of the. And that, that, so that you know, the winged lion is, is, is Babylon. Um, the the bear is um, uh, with the ribs uh, in its mouth, um, you know, devouring the other nations. Mm. Um, that is uh, Medo Persia. So the Persians and the Medes yes. come together. Uh, it's raised up on one side, probably indicating that you know the the Persian side is the stronger yes. uh, side. Um, so that's Medo-Persia, mm-hmm. and of course the Persian Empire 
uh, is the one that was around after the exile. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Ezra and Nehemiah, um, uh, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were, were subject to the Persian Empire. <clears throat> then um, we have this vision of a, a leopard, um, a leopard that is a, a creature of speed and probably indicative. This this is a, a symbol of the Greek Empire, yeah. um, and probably a symbol. You know, it talks about a leopard with four wings uh, of a four bird. Heads, sorry, four, uh, four, yeah, four wings. Well, four wings and then four heads. And, and four heads. Yeah, that's right. Um, the, the speed and, and the indicates from it being a leopard and the four wings is probably um, pointing to the speed with which Alexander the Great conquered yeah. the known world. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, conquered uh, all of ancient Persia. Yeah. Uh, by the age of 33, he yeah. controlled m- more territory than any other person. Wow. Um, so uh, after he died, and, and he, he died uh, young, at actually the age of uh, 33, I think Alexander the Great, he split his empire into four parts, yes. which accounts for the four heads mm-hmm. um, uh, under f- uh, four of his generals. Um, then the, the, <clears throat> the fourth beast. Now, um, I think the best way to th- – there are slightly differing interpretations yes. uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think the best, uh, without bothering about some of the other, uh, without invalidating those other interpretations, but uh, I think the most popular, in certainly in evangelical circles, interpretation of the fourth piece is that this is Rome. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, this has iron teeth. I mean, this is a fierce-looking creature. Yeah. And, of course, in power, in terms of military power, nothing had really matched yes. uh, the Roman Empire in the ferocity of its military power. Yeah. Uh, so um, – and and then uh, we have the, the ten – this the ten horns. Mm-hmm. This beast has ten horns. Uh, and this one little horn that comes up that, that – uh, Appears to be connected with the Antichrist of Revelation. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, probably you've got you've got a picture here of um, growing out of the Roman Empire in opposition. Because remember, uh, we we heard in Daniel chapter two that in the, this Roman period that God is going to establish His kingdom, which yes. of course happened with Jesus Christ came to usher in the kingdom of God, and um, so here in the we have these ten horns uh, growing from this Roman period. So this is like the some kind of symbol in gen, very general terms yes. of the sort of the the uh, godless authorities opposing the kingdom of God. Yeah. So, you know, and culminating in the little horn that rises. That is the Antichrist, the yeah. sort of culmination of all of that. So this is a vision that's taking us quite. I think most likely, all the way through. most likely interpretation right through to the end of the age. And so, in 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 the big scope of history, where some t- we we are at some point between those horns. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. And and of course, and then in chapter thirteen, you, you get this uh, statement: "I saw uh, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed." Yeah, you know, this is the culmination. 
of this great vision yeah. of history from Daniel's time uh, to what is yet future. And, and there's two takeaways for that. I mean, the the immediate takeaway for the for Daniel and and the people, the Jewish people of the time, was okay. God's in control. God's this absolutely his, history. Yeah, yeah. History is not you know the future. Yeah. His you know the future yeah. is not. A, he knows what's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. He's it's got it laid out, and um, it's not a bed of roses. Yeah, you know, that's right. Yet, yeah, uh, that's right. It, you know, so there's that for the immediate. You know, the immediate interpretation for for those who are receiving the message, mm. but for us today, you know, thousands of years later from Daniel, yeah. that that message is still ringing true. We know that we serve a God. Who you know is a god of history and the future yeah. and now? Yeah, it it is a really great point. I remember my my kids actually after one night watching the news. There's nothing to scare your kids uh, sometimes more <laughs> than the news. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and and you know, I remember them. You know, my son sort of expressing a bit of my sort of anxiety about. Yeah. What's going to happen? Is there going to be a war? And is yeah. that you know this and you know North Korea and Russia and yes. Syria and oh. and um, it was a wonderful thing to be able to say, in all sincerity, if you, if you, and if we devote ourselves to the purpose of God, then we're in a sure thing. There's yeah. no, it, that is a sure thing. In the midst of all that happens in the world, yes, I was able to say to him, God has a purpose for His people, and if, and and that's, you know, we're safe in that. Yes, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Yeah. But it does mean that it's assured. Yeah, he does, that's it. There's no promise here that says, you know, Daniel, don't worry, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna sail through. Yeah. You yeah. know, Daniel gets thrown into the yeah, lion's right. den. We see yeah. Shadrach, Meshach go into the fire, but he's like, I will be with you. That's right. I will and be with that's you. That's right. And and essentially, what I shared, you know, with my son in that instance is exactly what this is. The message of, of this is for the Jewish people uh, mm. at this time. Excellent. Yeah. The next chapter, chapter eight, yeah. is another vision, another dream. Yeah, that's another right. nightmare, maybe. <laughs> this one this one about a ram. Well, well yeah, this one's a little a little tamer. He sees um uh, a vision of uh, a ram, which uh Stands for most probably for the Persian Empire. Uh, uh, that's um that's generally uh, agreed. Um and then the ram is uh, is defeated by we have this figure of a, a male goat coming and uh, trampling uh, trampling the ram, and the male goat uh, is stands for the Greek Empire Alexander the Great again. Yes. So again, we're, we're doing another sweep here. Yeah. So we've got Persia, uh, we've got the male goat, which is Greece, but this is zooming in a little bit more. So whereas. Um, chapter seven gives us sort of world history and big picture. This zooms in to um, uh, uh, the, the the next few hundred years, yes. really, um, at, right up to the time of the events that I just spoke about before, of the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes, who's uh, one of the rulers of the Greek Empire, or at least a part of the Greek Empire, Um who outlaws Judaism, and so this uh, this is chapter eight is giving us a prediction of the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, and this speaks about the transgression that makes desolate, yes. and the giving over of the sanctuary uh, uh, to be trampled underfoot. Okay, um, which which is interesting because this then uh, I mean Jesus also spoke of the this 
desolation, this abomination that causes desolation. Um, And it's also spoken of in the book of Revelation. So it's like this multiple, uh, it's, there's this event that seems to occur at key times throughout history. So, you yes. know, in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is referring most probably to uh, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Um, but even there, there's a view to something even future um, uh, as well. So, um, so that's so chapter eight is just zooming in uh, to that period okay. uh, a, a little more. A little bit more detail um, there. You know, in, in chapter nine, Daniel discovers, reads the book of Jeremiah. This is this is one of the greatest. Yeah. Are we now moving into Daniel yeah, yeah, chapter yeah. nine? Okay, f- let's f- finish off chapter yeah, eight. Yeah. There, pretty simple stuff there. More more prophecy and stuff. Okay, now we're getting into one of the one yeah. of the greatest chapters yeah. in the Bible. It is. Can we just say it is a beautiful chapter in, in so many levels? Yeah. So many levels. We get we get a first hand account from Daniel yeah. about what his spiritual life is like. Yeah. As a godly man, yeah. that is based around him digging into God's. Yeah. You know God's word, which at that point is the book of Jeremiah. You know he's he's going through yeah. the, the prophecies of yeah, Jeremiah. That's right. And not only that, it's just the the heart as he seeks God yeah. is just. A, yeah. a, and then what he receives from God is like the most mind blowing prophecy yeah. in the entire Bible. That's right. Yeah. So he as he he's reflecting on the prophecies of Jeremiah, which is interesting that this was available uh, to him at this time. So, yeah. I mean Jeremiah, um, he as we know, went down into Egypt. Mm. but um, And we don't hear any more of that. But evidently his writings, what was written down by his scribe, Baruch, yeah. comes to, to the, Daniel. Yeah, comes to Daniel. Yeah. Um, and I like to think that Daniel was actively collecting, <clears throat> you know, like, like as a scribe and as a high-up person <clears throat> in the court. Yeah. He probably had facilities and people who were able to send out and collect this information. Well well that's right. And actually in doing so he was part of a of a movement actually mm. at the time because at this time they were gathering all of the yeah. records. I mean it's during the time of exile, let's remember, that the books from Joshua right through to the end of Second Kings yeah. were written, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um based on the court and royal records, and and very much based on prophetic records. Yeah. So all of the writings of the prophets from the past, and and they're actually footnoted in like uh, Samuel and Kings. Yeah. You know the other events are recorded in the chronicles of Samuel the yeah. seer or, yes. or Nathan. Yeah. You know the a very early bibliography. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. You so know, so these... they're, they're footnoting yeah. as they go. Yeah. So so they they had these records. They brought them. Uh, they they brought them uh, over with them, and. Uh, and so, yes, Daniel had this available, and, and uh, the prophecies of, of Jeremiah, yeah. um, which are the, the really the latest ones. Uh, and he, he discovers that Jeremiah prophesied that there would be a seventy-year exile. Yeah. Now, Daniel went in six oh five. He went into uh, exile. Yes. And this is seventy years later. Yeah. And he reads this. Think, hang on, hang on. Does the mass? Is, does he checks the calendar? Yeah, checks the calendar. <laughs> yeah. And. But notice the interesting thing about this. He doesn't just assume that this is automatically going to be fulfilled. Yeah. And this, I think, is a really important thing, uh, important point. Yeah. What he does now is really important because Jeremiah, uh, throughout the message of Jeremiah, is turn, uh, you know, turn back to God and he will restore you. Yeah. 
uh, that sort of goes with the 70-year thing. So it's yes. not this automatic thing. So yeah. what does Daniel do? He, he confesses the oh. sins of his people and he cries out to oh. God in one of the most beautiful prayers recorded in the Bible. Um, amen. <laughs> amen. And, I, and, and the other thing about this that I just love so much is we go from <laughs> – you know, we go from the first half of the book of Daniel being this oversight and oversee uh, that, you know, that that shows you all these stories about mm. Daniel yeah. in the third person, yeah. you know, type of thing. And then we get a diary. We get a personalized yeah. diary. And then I, Daniel, yeah. was doing this. And I, did, and I said, that, you know, and it's just, it's such, it's so relevant. And, I, and it goes against one of these things that really frustrates me in the age that we live in today. There's this sense that that not that the last generation, and I'm talking like people look at people from 30 years ago yeah. and go, "You're primitive man. You're a yeah, primitive yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You're not enlightened like us, dude. Yeah. Like we know everything now. <laughs> yeah. You knew nothing. Let alone when we go back 2,000 years, yeah. people go." Are you joking? What has that got to say to us today? Yeah. But you see the heart and the motivations and the thinking mm. of Daniel is, I will go as far as to say, probably more advanced mm. and in touch yeah. with, with reality than what we, we have yeah, today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's, it, it, it's such a model prayer in many ways. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just encourage our listeners to really read this caref- carefully. And, you know, this is this – is, uh, and even actually after he prays, you know, the, the angel Gabriel comes to him yeah. and says, even while you were praying, right. God, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. answered you. It's yeah. like- We get a glimpse into heaven. You almost get this sense that God is waiting for this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not just what he's saying. It's not a formula. Yeah. It's actually what he's doing when he's praying here. Yes, yes. That he is, he is owning, yeah. he himself is owning the uh, the transgressions of his people, which which- First of all, it's amazing that one person can intercede for everyone else. Yes. Yep. And it only takes one person to intercede for everyone else yep. and God will fulfill his promises. Yeah. That yeah. to me is amazing. And I yeah. think that really connects with, you know, the, I mean, if that's the case with Daniel, how much more so for the intercession of Christ yes. who intercedes at the right hand of God Amen. for us, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. that God's promises would be fulfilled for us. So, um, you know, Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel, Confesses on behalf of his people and uh, cries out to God to fulfill uh, to fulfill his promises. Yeah, that, and so that first half of chapter nine in the book of Daniel, chapter verses one to seventeen, the you know Daniel's prayer and, and what Daniel's response. I love the two levels of it, and there's multi, and there's much more than two levels. But as you say, there's a pattern for us in two ways. There's the pattern of what actually Daniel prays and his attitude that we should take on and go, man alive, I see his heart yeah. and how he prays and yeah. all that type of stuff. But then there's another pattern. There's a bigger pattern yeah. that we see how Daniel is reading the word and he is responding yeah, to the right. message of Jeremiah. And yeah. and it's, it's the words of Jeremiah that are – uh, prickling his heart yeah. that causes him to then shout out to God and take responsibility yeah. in that way. Yeah, that's it's a really a, good point. It's a double, yeah. double. Yeah, yeah. It's a double, a double pattern for us to go. Wow, this is how Daniel's you know prayer life, spiritual life was. Yeah. When he read what he read, he then responded to God. Yeah, you know that motivating, motivating it's, it. That it's such a great point, and um, it, it underscores the unique nature actually of biblical prayer. And and you see this in this prayer. You see it in the Psalms. It's not it's not prayer in a vacuum. Like yeah. I'll just pray in some vague hope that some deity out there will answer me. Yes. It begins with the understanding of of a God who has revealed Himself 
and who has made promises and declared a plan that is written down in Scripture, and that becomes the launching place. So it's not me vaguely hoping for something. No, no, it's actually uh, responding to God who started the conversation. That That's the important thing. God has started the conversation, and I think the best kind of prayer begins in the Word. It begins in the Word. It begins with us responding, recognizing the opportunities that God is holding out to us uh, in his word um, and responding to God's purposes and his promises. Uh, and it's important to take those two together. Some, mm. Sometimes we love the promises, though. It's like a, you know, a, just a, a voucher for us to get whatever we want. No, yeah. the promises of God are for the purposes of God. And that's an ongoing theme that, that we've been hearing a lot out, right. of, out of Ezekiel and we yeah, see yeah. it fleshed out here in the exactly. life of Daniel. Yeah. So, um, and so as we see here, you know, Daniel is responding to the, the purpose of God and the promises of God together. And notice, though, that he understands that this isn't going to happen automatically. Yeah. God has said, I, I'm going I'm to do this, and yet God always works through prayers. Now, why is that? It's because we were put in charge here. Yeah. This is like, you know, this goes back to Genesis 1 where God said, I've given you to rule over, over the earth. Like, this is your realm. If you want something to happen here... You know, God doesn't just step in and under, undercut us. Yeah. He, he, we are always involved. Mm. Um, and if we want, you know, it says in James, you do not have because you do not ask. Mm. If you mm. want something to, uh, you know, if you, want to, if you want to see the promises of God fulfilled on earth, you need to draw down and ask. We actually need to be involved in that because that's our calling. And according to Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Yeah. God doesn't take them away. So, so God is committed to working through us. This is the importance of Daniel. Only took one person mm. to say, Lord, you said, you said it would be 70 years. You said that if we cried out to you, yeah. that you would forgive. So I'm crying out to you. And the, the end of the prayer is great. You know, from verse 18, my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for, um, for your own sake. Oh, Lord, my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. Unbelievable. It is just... I, it, I have read that prayer. <laughs> I have read that prayer yeah. like countless times. Yeah. And even as I read it then, it just it, it makes the hair stand on the yeah. back of my neck. And, and to give you the bigger picture of that, and just to put it in, so you have a clear picture in your mind, Daniel came out of Jerusalem when he was a teenager. Yeah. He hasn't been back. He never goes back. He still counts himself as a Jewish person. Yeah. He's been in Babylon now for seven years. He's in his 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And the cry of this man's yeah. heart in his 80s yeah. is like he was just there. His heart yeah, yeah. is still there That's in right. Jerusalem. And, and it's not just about the city. It's what the city stands for. Yeah. It's, it's the purposes of God. And he wants to see this city... Uh, which is to be raised up and um, out of which so much promise is to come. He wants to see this city established. And, uh, and of course, th- this is the key thing, and, and this helps us then as we move into uh, God's answer. And I love the, you know, it says, uh, you know, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, 
for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, that the man Gabriel uh, came to me in swift flight uh, at the time of the evening sacrifice. By the way, you know, it came to me in swift flight. This is where you get this symbolism of angels with wings. wings yeah, uh, yeah. It's never, you know, it's not necessarily that they have wings, but this yeah. is the idea. It came in swift flight. Um, uh, you know, he made me understand speaking with me and saying, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell you, uh, for you are greatly loved. Oh, man, that's just, yeah. you are greatly loved, Daniel. Yeah. It's like, yeah. uh, therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Much laboured over Ooh. section, uh, the, the, the famous Ooh. seventy weeks. The second uh, of half Daniel. of the second half of chapter nine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The prophecy of chapter nine in the book of Daniel is is probably one of the most studied, fought over, yeah. uh, argued about, uh, chopped up in yeah. both a good and a bad way yeah. to try to understand the, what will happen for the in the future for the Jewish people yeah. and for us. Yeah. That, that of any passage, yeah. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard uh, scholars and laymen alike sing its praises and say it's one of the reasons why yeah. they have come to Christ. Yeah. And I've heard the opposite, the, the 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 antagonist who will go, this is one of the reasons why we would never believe because of this obscure middle gibbly gook that is in the books and we don't want to know about it. You know, like it's an amazing piece of literature that it's divided people for so long. Yeah, and um, I think as with my approach to things like this, um, the first thing I think is to just, before we get immersed in the detail, is just to step back and um, uh, get the big, I I suppose the big message uh, of this this is to answer, first of all, Daniel, assure Daniel, yes, the city is going to be rebuilt and it gives yes. a time. But it goes even beyond that. Uh, uh, so it's not a, not just about the city, it's about the ultimate forgiveness of, of God's people. Yep. And so it's referring to the, both the time frame of the rebuilding of the city and the time frame when ultimately God's the sins of God's people are going to be atoned for once and for all. Yes. So... Um, this is the 70 weeks. Now, of course, this, as we know, seven is, is, a, is an important number. It's the number of completion and perfection. Yep. Um, you, you get uh, texts like Leviticus 26, uh, 18, referring to uh, you know, a case in which God's people persistently refuse to, um, uh, to, res- to heed his word. Yep. You know, it says, if after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. So here is this 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 seventy weeks are decreed. It's as it says here. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy sinish. I'm reading, by the way, from the ESV. Yes. Remember, I said in a former episode, whenever I want to get closer to the text, ESV, uh, I, I do turn to the ESV, which is just a little bit more literal. Seventy weeks are declared are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness. Whoa, like that's. Yeah. 
you know, that's that's a grand uh, that's a grand vision. Okay, uh, to seal both uh, vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Now. Uh, then and so it says seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks, uh, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come uh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, uh, and to the end uh, there shall be war, desolations, yeah. a decree, and so forth. So, um, so <coughs> it, it's it's like the it's like he like. The, it's like the angel is just shouting out almost newspaper headlines. You know, yeah. like you know, there, there'll be this, this. That's a good way this, of seeing it. This, yeah. like these bold points, and it's like bullet point information. Yeah. It's yeah, like okay, right. you know, yeah. and then the then then the interpret. That's where the interpretation comes in. There. Yeah. So in all, we get we get these sixty nine uh, these sixty nine weeks, weeks, and and then and then this. Uh, that's in this part. Yeah. There's this, the 70th week is, yeah. is another thing. Mm. Um, but because it talks about 70 weeks, but it focuses on the 69 weeks yes. uh, now. And interestingly, that's broken up into seven and then, f- you know, seven weeks yeah. of years and then and then 60. 40 and, yeah, and then 62 weeks of yeah. years, probably because the seven weeks of years answers the first part, which is yes. about the rebuilding of the temple. Yes. So that's when the temple is rebuilt. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the, the after the sixty-two, that's when sin finally is uh, to be uh, atoned for. Yeah. Now, the question is, um, it says from the going out of of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you know when is that? Now, um, the, the, well, the we mo- we know when that is. Uh, well, well, there's two. There's, 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 there's options here. Okay, okay. Yeah, there, there's about three options okay. actually here. Which is, I was going to say two. There's now three <laughs> options. All right. Well, yeah, um, because um, first of all, there's the decree, the Cyrus decree, which is in 539. Yes. And we read about is, that in. Uh, so that's it. That's at the beginning of Ezra. Yes. Uh, that we read about that. So. Um, you know that that is the decree to send the people home um, to, but actually that's about rebuilding the temple. Yes. Uh, I mean, implicitly, you would say to rebuild the city. Yeah. Um, it's really Nehemiah who is who is the temple builder. Yeah. Uh, really, and, and we um, see that clear proclamation. Yeah. Given. So that's like about four forty five. Yeah. Um, now. <clears throat> um, there, there, there are a couple of ways of approaching this. I'm going to, I'm going to point to a fork in the road right. uh, here. Um, one way is to say, as with many places in Scripture, the numbers here are symbolic. Okay. Um, that they refer to, you know, because we're dealing in sevens here, and you know, there's been a lot written about the symbolism of the numbers. Yeah. Uh, because. Um, there, there are some difficulties in really pinning down any one option. Yeah. Every option has its has its difficulties. Yes. Um, the other hand, uh, on the other hand, there are those who would say, "No, we we should take this literally." Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, some writers would claim that the sixty nine sevens here 
predict the exact time of the crucifixion. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, growing up, and you know, and this is a common yeah. shorthand about the way we both grew up differently. Yeah. Uh, me growing up in a Baptist tradition, in a very fundamentalist Baptist tradition, yeah. I grew up with these charts literally on yeah. the wall. You know, with the, yeah. with the with the sixty-nine weeks and the seventieth week and everything on the wall, laid out with dates, times, points. You know, everything there, neatly. Chopped up, yeah. placed in perfectly. Well, well, in this case, it it is actually quite remarkable. Uh, it is actually yeah. quite remarkable. Uh, as I say, it's not without its difficulties. Yes. And one of the difficulties is where do we start the dating uh, from? Yeah, where do you start the dating, and and how do you interpret weeks? And then the do you take a Jewish calendar, or do you take the actual universal calendar yeah. of what a year is, and yeah. all those type of measurements? There's there's some you've you've got to you've got to do your homework on, and there's arguments for yeah. either side here. Yeah. So so the, the, I mean. Um, those, you know, for example, like say Chuck Missler, who's, who's yes. quite a well-known uh, voice um, uh, in this, you know, f- for him the calculations reckon from the decree of Artaxerxes the first, which is recorded in Nehemiah two one, yeah, that was in four forty five BC. Now he so using three hundred and sixty days to the year, I mean, which it, is the Jewish calendar, yeah, yeah that, that, that's right. So um, using three hundred and sixty days to the year, and adding extra days for leap years. Yes. So, so it's like breaking it down to days. Yeah. Mathematically then, yeah, working yeah, you know, it right out. Uh, it's really doing the maths. Um, then actually you get to uh, around, uh, I think it's around 30 or 33. Yeah. Uh, AD. AD. Yeah. You, you, get, you get right you, you, there. You know, you get right to this, uh, um, I think it's to 30. Um, yeah. Which is quite remarkable really. Um, and, I, I mean, I've heard Chuck Missler say you can even get to the, the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got. Yeah, you know, if you gave him enough time, I'm sure he could get to the hour. You know, in the week, you know, the day of the week. You know, yeah. thing. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the difficulties, like, um, you know, first of all, uh, th- there's you know, voices saying, look, uh, th- there, there, there is a difficulty around that that starting date because, of course, that makes uh, a lot of uh, you know that actually that the most um, the most important sort of decree is the Cyrus decree, uh, and yet you know Nehemiah really was the one yeah. who was authorized to actually build the city because the walls, yeah. you know, city really is its walls, yeah. and um, and so that uh, you know and and the con- controversy that surrounded that at the time, the yeah. fact that others were fine for them to build the temple, but as soon as you build the walls, yeah. that's Stands for something, yes. you know. So I think I think this is a thing. I think this can be this can be done. Um, another uh, writer, actually, the um, he wrote writes the New American Commentary on mm-hmm. the Book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, the view that he takes is that the decree to Ezra, it's the decree to Ezra in 458 BC, that's the correct starting point um, for the seven uh, for the seventy sevens. Yes. Um, so. Uh, and that's the decree of Artaxerxes the first to Ezra. Um, so the way that he he says here, if this view is correct, 40, uh, 483 years after 458 BC would result in a date of AD 26, yeah. the time when many scholars believe Christ was baptized yes. and began his public ministry yeah. as the Messiah. So so there's there's a 
there are a couple of options yeah. uh, here, and they're actually both equally remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, part of me thinks that one day when we get to heaven and we go, which one is correct? God will wink, <laughs> us and wink at us and go, they're both. Check it out. It both works out and both, you know, caps it all together. But, look, uh, let's not get – this is the problem now. We can get really <laughs> bogged down. That's right. In, in this. The overwhelming point here that I think one of the – some of the points that we need to make is the this is an answer – to Daniel's prayer. That's Daniel's right, yeah. prayer was specific to yeah. God. What about your people? What about my That's people? That's right. What is your plan for my people? That's right. And the and God's answer is how he is going to do deal with the Jews. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. During Daniel's time. Yeah. And the future. Yeah, that's right. The Messiah is talked about in there. There's a lot of mystery after that. Yeah. There's a lot of mystery in, in that. And uh And of course, you know, I mean Daniel, as as a Jewish thinker, would very much have picked up on the symbolism of the sevens, and yes. the, it, it's like saying, "In the fullness of time, this is going to happen." Yeah, and and I do, I, I do think that whatever the case with with any possible literal interpretation of those years, I do think that the symbolic, the symbolism of the the that idea of completion, even the fact that the first it's broken in first that that seven weeks, yes. which is, you know. Uh, seven weeks of years, so which yes. is seven sevens, a week yeah. being seven, is forty nine. I mean, this is the, the like the year of jubilee, yeah. uh, the yeah. forty nine years of the year of jubilee, and and so um, of of that moment of sort of freedom. I, so so there, there clearly is um, there clearly is important symbolism uh, to these numbers, mm. and uh, of course there, there there may there may be this um, uh, literal fulfillment and we've looked at that as well but certainly Daniel sees this and God is telling him in the way that he's hearing this is that in the fullness of time these are the things that are going to happen the the the, the city is is going to be rebuilt and um uh and sin is the sins of my people are going to be once and for all atoned for yeah yeah. Finally, the last thing I think we should pull out again, because we could literally spend months in this chapter. Yeah. But the final thing I think we should point out in chapter nine is that final week, because that that yeah. like that there's there is final you know one left uh, you yeah. know one one seven year period yeah. that in all the prophecy prophecy is left you know yeah. f- for God to deal with the Jews, and traditionally yeah. this is where we get the idea of. You know the tribulation, this seven-year yeah. period for yeah. God to deal with the Jewish people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and that 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 is a tradition that is carried through in in a lot of evangelical uh, Baptist traditions. Yeah, and um, you know something that you know people put a lot of stock in, and it comes from this. Yeah, that's right. It, yeah. It, the seed is planted right here in Daniel. I, I believe it then grows significantly in the Book of Revelation. Yeah, um, and it is carried forth. From that's there. right. So. so- What's known as the dispensational view yes. uh, here is that at the coming of Christ, the prophetic clock kind of stops, stops. for the church age yes. when there's this gathering in of the nations. Yeah. And then uh, at some point, the, the, the prophetic clock gets triggered again and we enter into the final week, Yes, uh, which is the final seven, seven years, years, which is the, the, the sort of tribulation. Um, now... Uh, Again, that's that's according to that interpretation. I, I think it's um, I think it's interesting and, and it's actually it's quite possible. I, w- when we get to this part, yeah, I, I'm I'm one to say, I think that has that has a lot of credibility. Yes, um, but th- there are you know th- th- there are other interpretations of this, and I just um, I find myself 
<laughs> baffled. <laughs> Look, it is it is it is baffling. Uh, the reason why I brought up that point, Matt, that that remember the context of of Daniel's prayer to God. Tell me about how you're going to deal with my people. How you're going to deal with your people, the Jewish people is that I feel that sometimes us as the church, as the non-Jewish people, as the people in this gap, you know, in this mystery church age, we get so tied up in trying to trying to work out how God will deal with the yeah. Jewish people. It's sort of like we don't have to worry about that. Just be thankful that He's dealing with us now, and know that He's not finished with the Jewish people. They're not written off. Yeah. One day He will say, "Okay, I'm bringing you back right. as my focus. I have not forgotten all the That's promises right. yeah. that I've given to the Jewish people. I will deal with you then." That's right, because it was an everlasting covenant. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and certainly Paul speaks into that, and yeah. Um, I think when it comes to the interpretation of prophecy, my caution isn't based on ignorance. It's not based on ignorance. I mean, I've read through the different approaches to this and how, you know, how we could read the 70th 70th week of Daniel and, and, and how, um, we understand this age and what's going to happen, the order of events and what's going to happen. Now, my caution relates to the fact that this is always expressed in quite cryptic terms. Yes. Because the Bible isn't, it's never, interested in giving us a detailed mapping of, of the future. Yeah. We're, we're, we're told in a way that tells us what we need to know without telling what we don't need to know. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we should really be mapping uh, the future. And one of the reasons I think we need to be careful about this is is that the the Jewish exp- – at the time of Christ, the Jews had a very set expectation of the way that they thought the coming of the Messiah would look. Yes. And they, you know, they, they no one studied the scriptures harder than them, yeah. and and they they got it wrong, yeah. and they weren't open to it changing, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I I I feel that we need to uh, study the scriptures, certainly have our view, and and uh, and you can lean towards this view and that that view, but hold it a little open handedly. Like certainly have your convictions, yes, but l- let's hold those open. Handedly and and recognize the room for mystery yeah. uh, in this because it may well turn out differently to what we uh, we don't want to predict. We, we don't want to be like the the yeah. Jews of of Jesus' time and miss it because we know it too well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, we know mm. we have our convictions. And the other the other thing is that I always I always uh, this came up to me a lot when uh, if I go back to when I was nineteen years old and I did my you know. A year or two of uh, Bible college at the Bible college that yeah. I went to, and there was very much, you know, that's very much where we were taught the charts and yeah. the dispensational views and everything like that. I kept on saying, "I was that annoying kid in class." I would say, "Why? Yeah. Why, why? Why does this matter? Yeah. What is this to me now?" Yeah, you know, well, type that, of thing. That's, that, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I was, Actually, and, yeah. and a lot of people were like, "Well, you learn it to get an A in class, you know, yeah, like yeah. you learn the right way." And I was like, "You know, no, God wasn't. I, I didn't believe back then that God wanted me to know mm. dates on a calendar. Yeah. He wanted me to have a relationship with Him. Yeah, and right. how was yeah. this driving that forward? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and I think the question, not just for the rest of chapter nine, but also, uh, we'll speed through the last, you know, 10, 11, yeah, 12, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the book." Of book of Daniel, the question there that we should be asking ourselves when we read and meditate on these verses is, what is God t- saying to me now that's going to change my life today? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's where always that big picture is really important. And and one aspect I think of the big picture that comes out in chapter ten yeah. is this idea that behind um, 
behind all human and political events, mm. there are there there is this spiritual thing happening. That, that first of all, there is what God is doing that is sovereign um, over and against everything that's happening in the world. Yeah. But also that there are these spiritual forces of evil behind that, and this you get from um, uh, the uh, um, what uh, the angel says to Daniel when in chapter he, ten. In, in chapter ten, when yeah. he says, um, he says, "O man, great love, fear not; peace be with you. Be a strong, uh, be strong of good courage." And he spoke to me, and I was strengthened. Uh, Let my Lord speak for you, strengthen me. Then he said, uh, "Do you know why I've come to you? Uh, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and." Um, uh, I will go out. Behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will, and yeah. uh, so you, you've got these these angelic battles yeah. going yeah. on. Yeah, and and our listeners can read that uh, for themselves. We won't go into detail now. Suffice it to say that there are these spiritual battles going on yeah. behind behind worldly events. Yeah, yeah. That ultimately God is saying, "I'm going to win that battle, and that battle wins every battle." Yeah. That you know, getting to what you were saying, that is the big, that's the big picture. The yes. thing that God wanted to understand. It's not just about you know, as Paul says, our battle isn't just against flesh and blood. Yes, uh, but against principalities and powers in in, in the heavenly realms, and uh, and God wins in the end. Yeah, uh, you know, we see the same thing in the Book of Revelation. We see the same this spiritual battle going in uh, on that is sort of behind all earthly uh, things, but we see that. God is not an equal rival in that battle. He, he is completely sovereign. Uh, he even works through the evil that, that is done paradoxically yeah. and brings all things to uh, to f- the fulfillment of his purpose. And um, uh, that that again, you know, comes out in, in chapter chapter 10. Yeah. So and then fi- the final, you know, two chapters, 11 and 12, uh, you know, it sort of fleshes out that message that he gets in, you know, again, another answer to his prayers there. Uh, he gets, a, you know, the answer to the vision, he gets the messages there. And then we finish off with chapter 12 of, you know, everything being wrapped up. And there's one verse that struck struck me again in, in chapter 12 as, as he's been asked to sort of seal up the prophecy and wrap, you know, yeah, everything's yeah. going to be wrapped up. And then we get this, you know, we get this, very cryptic phrase of, you know, in the future there'll be almost like, you know, there'll be an information age in the future. Yeah. People will want knowledge. Yeah. Information and knowledge will reign supreme yeah. in the future. That's for when this will be yeah, applicable yeah, again. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and, the, and you, you can't help but think that in the day that we live today, I mean, this is, you know, probably the classic Baptist yeah, in me yeah. coming out going, I want to read this prophecy and apply it to today <laughs> is – we live in such an information knowledge rich age yeah. where where information is power, knowledge is power. Yeah. Where you feel like may, maybe these prophecies that Daniel had are applicable for us today. Absolutely, not so yeah. not so much in the dates and the calendar, but the message of Daniel, what God was doing in his life yeah, and who's yeah. in control is Absolutely, what we need to be remembering. Yeah. Then as as we go into chapter eleven, um chapter eleven is one of the reasons why a lot of scholars date this later because it gives such a detailed account yes. of the events leading up to um, the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and his attack uh, on Jerusalem. Uh, it just goes into it's it's like a a, a detailed history written uh, written beforehand. 
Now, of course, I don't discount that that was completely, completely possible. Yeah. One of the tricky things about this is that it jumps from Antioch's Epiphanies and then it jumps, it sort of takes a leap into the future yeah. uh, as well and predicts almost in the same breath the end of the age, yeah. uh, the final tribulations and the, and, and the end of the age. Um, and, of course, this is typical of biblical prophecy to um, <clears throat> to leap off an event that is a kind of an archetypal event. Yes. You know, where, where evil raises its head and to sort of springboard from that up over to the end when yeah. the final um, – uh, you, I, I guess when the final uh, archetypal or, or the, really well, the, the, the fulfilment of yeah, that the archetype. Yeah, the ultimate fulfilment. Yeah. yeah, where the fulfilment of that archetype occurred. So it's going from uh, from that archetypal event through to the thing that it kind of uh, is, a, um, uh, is pointing forward to. So th- this is what you get in, in Chapter 11, and, and it's a tricky one to read. Uh, no. I, I think most readers are going to be baffled, and, and I, I have – um, in in my in my text, I'm going to show you DJ, but yeah. um, you can see all of the little red <laughs> notes in my. I, I'm reading off my laptop, which is uh, the, the software uh, that, that I use, and, and I've got the Bible text, and I've got just after almost every three or four words, I've got a little note yes. icon, yeah, <clears throat> because it's that complicated, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, but basically. Generally, what it's doing is talking about the events leading up to Antioch's Epiphanies, where uh, there was this attack on Judaism and this abomination that caused desolation. The Jews fought back against that and remarkably uh, won. They thought then, this is the the kingdom of God. We've yeah. ushered in the kingdom of God. That's it. Um, now, uh, what it did usher in actually was a hundred-year um period of uh, in, of independence of, mm. of Ju- Judea as an independent state remarkably yeah S- again sandwiched in between these great empires they managed to achieve a hundred years of independence uh, from the time of the Maccabees so from the time of about 163 yeah uh, 163 BC is when the the temple was rededicated and of course that is celebrated still to this day by the Jewish people in the feast of Hanukkah yes um, so um um uh, your phone's talking to you there. Yeah. Somehow we activated Siri there. Apologies for that. Uh, maybe Siri can answer Siri. some of our, our questions, actually. Maybe she thought, these yeah. guys are doing a really boss yeah, yeah. job of this. I'm just going to jump in Apple, here. And, and, Apple now wants yeah. to give an interpretation yeah, to the book right. of Daniel. Um, so, uh, so so you get this this remarkable uh, period when, when they, they, they fight against Antiochus. They think the ushering in of this 100-year period um, – them thinking this is the kingdom of God, but it all starts to rot internally. It goes yeah. corrupt, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and and eventually there's division and one part of the division turns to the Romans and the Romans come in. And yeah. really the Romans gain a foothold largely through internal divisions. And yeah. so there's a so actually the kingdom of God that that then when Jesus comes, uh they're all expecting the Jews are expecting another Maccabean. A lot of the Jewish people are expecting another Maccabean kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, where where we're going to fight free of the Romans and, and establish a, or, or, a political kingdom. Or many of the prophecies that talk about the Messiah being, you know, that mighty king and the yeah. and the and the soldier and the army, all the military. That's right. You know, overtones. There. Which brings us back to the book of Daniel, because uh, Jesus constantly reminds us that the the war that he's come to win is the spiritual war, right? Yeah. yeah. And actually. Uh, uh, that he 
that he is prepared to, in a way, lose the the um, the lose in a worldly sense. Yeah. To win in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, and we obviously we see that in the death and resurrection of Christ, but you see that also in the book of Revelation as well. I mean, exactly. when it talks about uh, the, the two beasts in Revelation uh, 14, is that? Uh, th- sounds right. Um, you know, it talks about you know, the second beast uh, has complete power over God's people. So yeah. actually the, the, the beast that is described in Revelation, the Antichrist, is... He wins yeah. in a worldly sense, yeah. but then he's defeated in a spiritual sense, and then ultimately defeated. And you know, Jesus is um, is reminding his people really of the message of Daniel that there is a spiritual battle uh, at stake here. Um, and so, um, so that's where that's where then you get this jump from these events around the time of Antioch's Epiphanies that look like yeah. the coming of the kingdom, but aren't really. Uh, it, it's really a, a kind of archetypal uh, event that then the writer sort of springboards off to speak about the end of the age. Yeah. Um, uh, that's probably the best broad terms to explain that. Now, throughout uh, talking through the book of Daniel, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with my laptop in front of me looking at my text with notes all through it, and I'm resisting the, you know, getting into the detail. You literally could go through this book uh, for months, we could do this. We could do verse a, by verse. Yes, almost word by word. Verse <laughs> one verse could we could last yeah. for weeks on one verse. You know? Which which is which has made it hard. And 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 but what what I've tried to focus on here is is this big picture yeah. uh, that comes out of this. I think you can't go wrong if you read the book of Daniel in the light of the big picture message that comes through, and we've stated that all the way through about God's sovereignty and the fulfilment that his kingdom is going to, to um, endure and succeed um, in the end. That's the thing that Daniel needs to hear. That's the thing that his people need to hear at this time. It's what we always all need to hear. That's, that's the message. As you read through all of the details, my suggestion to our listeners is don't get too perplexed just try to get the big messenger message, but you know if if it interests you, go back, get some good commentaries, um, uh, and I would recommend. I mean, uh, the uh, New International Commentary of the Old Testament, uh, the uh, Tyndale commentaries, New American commentaries, uh, three of the most popular evangelical commentaries. And we'll put a link to those type of things in the show notes of this, yeah, yeah, of this episode. Yeah. We'll put, I'll, grab, I'll grab some uh, information that we can put into the show notes if you yeah. want to have further study. But I think it's I think it's important to as we run out of time, Matt, as we're closing off this this long episode on the on the second half mm. of the book of Daniel, just to restate again what reading through this part of Daniel has done for you in your life, what's God been using it in your life right now through? In, in look in, in so many ways, I first of all, in the first part of the book, it's who Daniel is that he embodies this this light to the nations. That's that's what he is, and I I found that so, um, I found that so impacting. Then in the second part, these great visions that he has of these grand promises of God, but then most importantly, the way that he actually draws down on that. It's there to be. It's there to be um, taken hold of by faith, mm. 
But that's what we need to do. It's like that movement that he makes of confessing his sins and the sins of his people because it's never just about me. It's always about us. I'm part of something. We need to understand it's, we're always part of something bigger. And when we step into the purpose of God, we step into that bigger thing. And I, I, it, it has inspired me to pray into that big thing that God is doing because the answer for the things that I most long for personally are in what God wants to do for all of us together. That I think is That's a long one. That's a long one. As you've heard, we are only just scraping the surface of the second half of the book of Daniel. What an amazing book and what an honor and privilege it is to talk about it with Matt and to share it all with you. Now, have no fear if you are furiously scribbling down the notes uh, that Matthew mentioned about the further study, the commentaries and things like that. All of that information are on this episode's show notes, the post for this episode over at thrivetoday.net.au. Once you're over there, have a look for episode eight of Thrive Deeper about the book of Daniel, and uh, you'll be able to find all the links of what Matt and I were talking about in the episode notes right there. All right. Well, I don't want to uh, take up too much of your time now, so let's get out of here. We'll see you next week on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to Thrive Deeper. If you have questions you would like answered, contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thrive Deeper or at the Thrive Today website where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, thrive.